Profess Error, the podcast where we celebrate life in academia through the failures we've experienced, not to celebrate the ways in which we fell down, but the ways in which we've gotten back up. In this episode, Brian and I attempt to do the impossible, or maybe idiotic, of trying to have an audio podcast where we discuss graphical communication. We talk about what we've done well and what hasn't worked. I don't know if it's very effective, but it was fun. Hopefully enjoy Welcome to Prophet's Error. We are joined today, as always, by Professor Brian Franz. Brian, how are you doing today? Great, as always. <laughs> That's good to hear. I feel like today we're kind of doing, uh, I don't know, either the impossible or the idiotic. I'm not sure. We're having a session where we're taking an audio format of a podcast and we're focusing on visual media, which is graphical communication in academia. Oh this feels like either either the riskiest thing or just the dumbest thing we could talk about. It's going to require some patience. We're probably going to be describing some visual things. There's going to be a lot. So. Sit back, close your eyes, and, yeah. and use your imagination. That's This is going to be very much a use your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, all right. So the aim is, you know, we were talking about what have we talked about and what have we not talked about? What could we cover? What could, you know, what should we talk about? And so one of the things that you and I discussed was this idea of graphical communication. Because I didn't really feel like we ever got a formalized education of here's how you make no. effective graphical communication, especially not from like a research and academia perspective. And so we kind of want to talk about some of what have we done? What have we seen? What are some of the things that we try to maybe avoid now or target um, from a graphical communication standpoint? Because I, I think it's kind of tough, especially initially when you're trying to communicate in some kind of you know, nice image or picture and you don't really know what you're doing. So that's kind of our, our aim for today. Yeah. It's, it's super important because, you know, a reviewer or, yeah. or someone who's trying to consume your content is, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not likely to read through all 3000 words that you wrote, totally. but they're definitely going to look at that little image that you snuck in there and try to get a handle on, on what you've actually done. Yeah. So the visual is super important. It's maybe we even start out with just that overarching philosophy of it. Like I kind of look at a visual and feel like there's real estate on a page. You know, if we think of the most reports that we have, they're on, at least in the States, an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. It's virtual, but but that's kind of the format we've got. That's the real estate you have on that page. So I kind of look at it and you can, you can write prose sentences, you can write headings, or you can use imagery or graphics or something like that, or tables to convey your ideas. And the aim ought to be to to use the space on that page most effectively to communicate uh, what you want to the reader or the the consumer of that, which I think makes sense at sort of a conceptual level. Sometimes then the challenge with that image is, okay, is it better to use an image? Is it better to use a large image? Do you use an image complemented by what's in the text? Do you use a table? Do you use... So I kind of look at it and say, I think the overarching aim of any kind of uh, graphical communication ought to be, say your point in as little a space or as as efficient use of space as you possibly can i think i feel like that's kind of the uh, the aim yeah i'll add to that maybe one additional component is it, i really think it needs to facilitate like a rapid understanding yeah. of whatever point you're trying to make if someone has to sit and stare at your you know figure or your your graphic for 30 minutes to try to understand it then that's a failure, right? 100%. Like it has to be able to rapidly communicate those points and they need to really like stand on their own. So it, it doesn't, it shouldn't require 3000 words mm-hmm. to explain what this figure is. You should be able to look at it and just quickly like that, understand what the key points are, what, yeah. what the author is trying to convey. And, and it feels like it ought to be a single predictable takeaway that they get. Sometimes I think you can have graphics that can com- communicate a lot of different things, right? But but this is not a, what do they call it, a Rorschach test or one of like, right. the point is to get to, I want you to know right. one takeaway, one thing from what I'm showing you, here it is, you know? And so that that's also a slippery slope. So I, I agree, efficiency, but then also predictability or consistency in what they're getting, 100% um, agree in terms of our, our use of figures or visuals here. Um so with that, should we talk about maybe how we approach it in our respective groups? So like, how do you, sure. how do you decide I'm doing something? I need a visual. Oh, um, and, or yeah, how do you so make one when, when you know, honestly, you need one? um, I tend to start with visuals a lot mm. of the time, uh, especially if it's some kind of like 
conceptual framework or theoretical framework that I'm working on where I'm trying to blend together a bunch of ideas and show how they're related to one another. Like I use the visual to get it straight in my head so that then I can explain it better. Right. Once I have these ideas and they're clear to me, then it'll be easier for me to explain. So I I sometimes start with the visual um, and then kind of work backwards. So when I'm doing that, I'm trying to think, okay, what concepts, what am I trying to represent? Who's my audience? You know, what do I want that audience to take away from this visual? So I'm really kind of asking high level questions before yeah. I even start it. Cause I'm trying to set a scope for myself because you can go crazy with visuals. I mean, you can spend hours creating this methodic, this very detailed yeah. methodically created visual, but then it doesn't meet any of your actual objectives because who is it for? And they can't take away any one point from that. It's way too inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that often that is the issue is there's too many details in there and there's, there's too many options of, of ways they could interpret it. Yeah. I think I do a similar thing. I don't know if I would say I start with the visual. I think, but I think the visuals come early. I tend to think that where I like to look at doing a visual is where I find either I can't understand if it's say a grad student's paper, what they're communicating to me, I can't understand it. Um, and in that back and forth, or it could be a collaborator, in that back and forth of trying to explain an idea internally before we submit a publication or proposal or whatever, um, if in that process we find ourselves saying, let's just go to the whiteboard, let's just get out some marker, we're just going to go to the whiteboard and we're going to draw it out. When, when I do that, that's usually a good indicator for me of, okay, a graphic is going to help to explain how these concepts are related or this data is related, whatever it is we're showing. Um, so I feel like that's kind of a good hint. I Part of why I push, not push back, but just said I don't normally start with the visual is I, I know some people who do, and I sometimes find myself going through drafts of papers and sort of saying like, why do we need this? What, what, what am I getting out of this? And so sometimes I think it can, maybe if, if you're not careful about um when it's necessary. You can also just lead to, all right, this is going back to the real estate comment on the page. This is a quarter of a page to say what a sentence could. And so the, some of those I'm like, all right, let's just lose this. Yeah. So, uh, so in fair disclosure, I do end up with a bunch of visuals that I spent that you time creating that I don't actually use. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that, um, that's kind of a skill in and of it's, itself yeah. to kind of decide what, what makes the cut and, and what's not, but you're right. I think there is if you do start with visuals, there might be kind of a sunk cost fallacy yeah. here where you th- say, well, God, I spent so many hours creating this. It's got to be in there. I, yeah. I'm so attached to it. I can't, I spent so much time. I can't just cut it. And so, yeah, you, you could run into a situation. I'm very aggressive with what I, yeah. like if, if I don't think it's useful, I'm well, it's okay. I'm cut it, use it somewhere else, repackage it somewhere else. Maybe it goes to a presentation, but not the paper, yeah. like fine, but because yeah. your comment at the beginning, though, is you, were, you said it helped you figure it out. So right. even if it doesn't make the paper, who cares? It, it served its value. Yeah, right. like you got what you it's needed useful. out of it. Yeah, I mean, that's I'm maybe getting a little ahead, but as I look at other things where I'm generating graphics, so like on proposals, I will often generate a graphic on the first page. Um, this is a little bit because if I'm being honest, I'm infatuated with the look of it. I love, <laughs> I, I don't know why, I love looking at a proposal where page one is just... I'm going to say pretty, but I don't mean pretty in like a dismissive way. I mean like it's so organized and orca- and like thought out in a way that I just look at it. I like it. And I think that makes for a positive impression on the reviewer. But even there, I'm, I'm your comment of you do it to help you make sense of the idea. I find that that's a helpful exercise for me to say, what, can, what details can I live without for this idea? Right. And that sure. exercise makes me kind of go through it. But your other comment that you made um, a moment ago is you're pretty... Uh, 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 aggressive and removing stuff and delete this, delete this. So if I look at, you know, times that I've made these kind of graphics for proposals, right? As I go through it, it might be a 15-page proposal, but I'll have, like, I use PowerPoint, which is a little bit, I don't know, archaic, but it works. It's simple and it's kind of a other, everyone can, can handle a PowerPoint file. Um, in that PowerPoint file, I may have one that's just a graphics file where I'm just going to make my graphics in there. And for a 15-page uh, project description, I may have 25 slides. I'm not using 20 of them. But but as you point out, it was like the first three iterations were garbage. But I didn't know how or why they were garbage until I got to that fourth iteration. Right. And then it was like, okay, now we're back to that page one that I said I wanted that like well thought out, almost like attractive first page to look at. 
Yeah, uh, same way. I mean, I, I, I use PowerPoint as well, just because it's actually a very powerful tool, right? You can do boxes, you can do color, you can do text if you use it appropriately, yeah. right? Like you can make it look like anything you want. I, I do custom boxes where you draw your yeah. own shape. And I mean, it's a pretty powerful tool. So don't undersell it. I think you're underselling PowerPoint. I, um, I wish that, that more of my students use PowerPoint because they try to do something else and it just doesn't work as well. Because and also PowerPoint goes directly into presentations. It's just True. A, a lift right into presentations without having nice. to recreate any visuals. So don't undersell. <laughs> um, but I, same same experience where you know I'm creating a visual and it starts very simple. It's just like a few boxes and some arrows with some text, and then 35 slides later, like there's the version that makes it into a proposal or into a paper. And, and no joke, that's how many iterations it might take me yeah. to go through that one visual till I get something that satisfies all of my requirements. Like it's yeah. simple, it's easy, it has it's, checks all the boxes for me and someone could look at it and quickly understand what I'm trying to do. And when you're starting power, like you have an idea, I have this idea of, you know, how come they don't make, uh, I don't know, Uber for elephants or whatever your ridiculous right. idea is, right? You say, I want to get this this idea on the page. Your starting point is PowerPoint? Because for me, it never, like for me, the starting point is always either pen and paper or something that is has tacked out like a whiteboard or a piece of, like, I don't know why. I love the blank sheet of paper, not even, not even lined. This is a weird neurosis. I don't want to start with lined paper. I want no rules, no structure. Okay. Like I like that exercise of beginning with what do we want to do? But you, yeah. it sounds um, like you actually started. PowerPoint is a blank canvas to me. So yeah. when I go in there, it's literally a blank sheet and I'm just drawing shapes and, yeah. and putting text in and I'm moving them around. And, you know, to me, Obviously that right. is, yeah. I don't know. You're right. I know you. I I think this just goes to like, this is maybe why I'm harsher toward, I don't like like the toolboxes of what are the things I just have there. I just want, I need a squiggly line that goes nowhere. I guess you I could create that. I you guess. You can make that. It's I, easy. But it's so much easier with a pen on a whiteboard. Just like, ah, this is garbage. This is this is just needs to go nowhere. And this needs to make the point that some trend isn't working or whatever. And it's just like, I can sure. get there. I can prototype that does that work graphically faster if I have a pen and a paper or a marker on a whiteboard than I See, can? Okay, here's a tip for you. So in, in PowerPoint, I often just go, I, I do something and usually it's crap the first okay. time I do it. And then I duplicate slide and then I make changes to that. Sure. And then I duplicate slide again and make changes to that. So like... I have all the old versions. You can kind of see the iteration too. of it. You can see it getting improved, but I feel like that at least, and then I say, oh, I don't like this. And I go back to a previous version. I have it there and you can just edit that. To me, that makes, I don't know. But do you, like, I guess maybe I'm illustrating my, I find that I, the, you, the conclusion of yeah. I don't like this, that conclusion yeah. happens after I see it, not after I think of it. And so for me, like the mm. faster I can get to the point of when do I get to sure. see what a squiggly line looks like, whatever, I'm just making sure, up the point sure, for sure. someone who doesn't have the media in front of them listening. But like the faster I can get to that, the faster I can get to, oh, I know why this doesn't work. Or mm. I see like the, the, I know you thought this would work, but it's not going to convey that to uh, someone else. So that's why I kind of, I don't know, I still swear by the whiteboard. All right. I'm surprised because I feel like I'm always the digitally uh, leaning person in this in this dyad we're in. And so I'm a little bit surprised that you're not I know. more paper I think that I don't view, I think I look at PowerPoint and I think I can do everything that I need to do. Like I don't view it as limiting because yeah. I, I know how to use all the different pieces and components to it to get the look that I may, that I think is in my head yeah. down fairly quickly. So I can teach you how to use PowerPoint if you want. <laughs> so, all right. So here, here's a here's a super in the weeds question. Then. Um, oh, so no. do you use any of the built-in templates they that they have? For no, crap? those are all garbage. That's what I think too. I never use yeah, them. I don't garbage. like any Every of the garbage. I'm always like, like, I don't want any of the shadow they put in there by yeah, default no. or like the way that they round the arrows or whatever. They Like I want control of every little detail. So I don't yeah, use any 100%. of those. And you have to have like the most specific process in the world that would fit exactly into that template. Most of the time I'm creating something that's new or different and it just doesn't fit into Mm -hmm. anything that they have. And whenever you see those, I automatically think less of that visual. Like whenever I see, this this is terrible. Whenever I see someone that's using that template, I automatically think you didn't care enough to give me a real visual. First of all, I'm laughing because I agree. I'm I'm gonna be harsh with you on that. I'm normally not. I'm with you on visual. I'm not tolerant of that. Like the other thing I don't like when you have a default box they give you, the text box doesn't really let the text go to the edge mm-hmm. of that box it's in. And if yeah. you end up 
costing me a second line for something that yeah. should have been able to fit on one yeah. line. I'm just like, well, this is this is it's the bad use of the real estate. Yeah. Going back to the underlying point, it doesn't get across what we need. So yeah, yeah. you have to change the margins of every text box the, to zero. Yeah. Right, I do it every single time. <laughs> I, so I often will make two different boxes and yeah, group them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll have one. Then you have the total shape. control of the text. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I like it for that, and I'll have text yeah. in one, and, the, and just group them so they still cluster together. But yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so I think we've talked through some of our sort of uh, aims process. and sort of process for it. Um, maybe we can get to sort of our, our spirit of, of the podcast and talk about mess-ups and failures that we've had. Um, I'm sure a handful will come up, but let's let's get into one that I think we both relate to, which is the use of color in graphics. Oh, um, and so I know you had said you had, had gotten to some uh, uh, confusion among readers early with using too much of it. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, when I first started, I thought, you know, when you're creating these kind of conceptual frameworks, they're usually composed of boxes, which mm -hmm. represent some concept, and then arrows that connect them, mm -hmm. right? That say that this idea is in some way related to some other idea. And whatever that relationship is, maybe it's not important, but that one thing precedes another. Yeah. Um, and I, I created this visual of for simplicity's sake, let's just assume it's like six boxes and they're just arranged in a, in a line. They're just linear. And one box had an arrow going to the next box. That box had an arrow going to the next box and so forth, just from, from left to right. And I wanted to make a distinction between the first three boxes and the last three boxes. Hmm. So I shaded the first three boxes, various shades of blue again. So they were three shades oh, of blue yeah, like for the first three boxes. But they're all the same all category. All the same cat. Yeah. yeah. And then oh the God. last <laughs> set was, you know, three boxes and they were all different shades of, I don't know, remember what it was, like a yellow or something. Oh, okay. Right. And all I really wanted to make the distinction was that this second group of three boxes was different yeah. from the first set of three boxes. And so I showed it to someone, to a collaborator, and they're like, okay, I get it, but like, why, why are they all different colors? Yeah. Do the colors mean something? Like, are they different categories yeah. of, or something? And why aren't, if they're, just the first group and the second group, like, why are there any colors at all? So what we ended up doing was just making all the boxes white and then just shading the background actually to Perfect. be like a, a light gray or something for the, the second half of tasks. And then that it gave you a visual line between those groups. And so that, that last three set of boxes was clearly separate with the minimal amount of color. Yeah. That makes so much more sense. Like yeah. th th this almost feels like I maybe I'm reading incorrectly, but it almost feels like your first draft was where you used one of the PowerPoint templates, right? Because it's very easy to find those templates that'll like if you have four, they'll equally yeah. shade for four options. If you have six, they'll equally shade for six in terms of the different colorings. It's just like if that doesn't communicate it, like why are we doing this? And and that yeah, that it should have a point. This is my opinion. It was trying like, to be fancy, right? Yeah. It was trying to be kind of fancy. Oh, this will be nice and this will be nice attention getting. Yeah, in the wrong way because people were confused. Way. Yeah, because someone someone will will consume or read or otherwise understand your idea. And if they understand from it, oh, the first involves three things that are all different, and the second involves three other things that are maybe also all different, but more different than the first. Right. It's a it's whole confusing. lot of like uh, plausible interpretations that are yeah. not what you it's want. A lot of me nuance to get. that's not explicit. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not explicit nuance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm actually. I feel like on a lot of things we differ more. We're 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 fairly aligned on this. So yeah, color meaning I. <laughs> I actually like color in graphics, but if and only if it has a meaning. Um, I tend to think if something is just all monochrome, just make it grayscale or black and white. Like I, I, I don't think that looks bad. I think sometimes um, maybe this is a thing for newer grad students that feel like I'll be underwhelmed or something if I don't see a pop of color or something. With but who cares? I feel like grayscale perfectly fine. Um, if you're going to use a color, have it mean something. Yeah, I um, this is isn't related to maybe academic publishing, but for presentations uh, for classes, um, I have actually and I, I carry this through to to visuals now for journals and things as well. But I'll keep my colors to things like blue, blacks, grays, oranges, yellows. I deliberately avoid like red and green. Mm, yeah, they because they mean something. apparently, and and apparently, it's a color vision impairment that a lot of po oh. the population has. Like ten percent of the population, like can't really differentiate too That's well between point. you know red and green and I, I like didn't know that until i had it during class and students were like i can't tell <laughs> what the difference is between these two uh, because i use red and green and i'm like ooh, okay 
uh, I won't use that then. So yeah. just, I've started getting away from that unless it's really like, if, unless it's used really sparingly. So that's a really, that, that makes perfect sense. I, I was assuming you were going in a slightly different direction there, but that what you said makes a hundred percent sense. You made me uh, think of another thought though. If you use a color that also is commonly associated with a meaning, that's also a thing that I would, it's not that I explicitly wouldn't use it unless it was a visual reason like that, a visual impairment reason like that. Um, but more of if, if you're using red and green, I'm going to, by default, assume red is kind of the bad or stops yeah, progress or hinders or slows or pre- prevents, and green is the go and enable and support and continue or something that means you know, that, that effect. Similarly, like with red and blue, hot and cold, like it, it, there are different sort of subconscious meanings or some maybe conscious meanings that we have for some of these. And I sometimes will see these colors used in pairs and they don't really mean the thing that they're suggesting. And that's another thing where I would be yep. very cognizant of color. Yeah. You, that What you mentioned is one of the rare times where I will use red and, and green. If specifically, if I'm trying to call out low numbers on the table sure. or high numbers on a table, yep. right. And, and that green is intended to be good and, and red is intended to be bad. Right. Um, I, I will use that, uh, but very sparingly. One other thing that uh, I've started doing more purposefully, I didn't as much early on, but I think is is um, a better process. If color is something that I feel is necessary, especially for a journal paper, a proposal, a presentation, something where someone's going to be seeing more than one image, right? Because I've got an overarching idea and a methodology and whatever. Um, if there are different phases of the project, the presentation, the paper, the whatever I'm doing that align to different colors, once you introduce a color scheme at the beginning, be consistent. So if yellow means pre-construction and orange means safety concerns and whatever, then everywhere anything that relates to those topics comes up, we've got to be beholden to those colors and not change. Because I think there again, it goes back to the thing of, Someone could then deduce a logical conclusion that may not be the one you want. Oh, you use orange. Well, you told me that was safety earlier, so that must mean it here. No, no, I didn't mean it here. Okay, well, so the same could be said with fonts, like using typefaces, and the same could be said, I think, for variable names. Like sometimes I'm reviewing a paper and a variable has different names in Uh like some, like a figure or a graph, and then Uh it's a different name in a table, and it like doesn't align. Yeah. So I think that's kind of another thing. Yeah. And you brought up the font one. So, I mean, I, I was going to suggest, yeah, let's, let's talk about that as well. So sure. fonts is another one that I find myself saying, I think we need to be consistent on you and I in talking in passing, you said, I'm always consistent. I said, I'll, I'll bet at least at some point working with your students, you're not because by I default, them, that's why, <laughs> well, maybe that's your better. Yeah. You're, you're just, you know, yeah. but like, this is a thing. If you use different softwares with different templates, even if you're using what you think is the logical font, it's probably not the same because one is Calibri and one is Times New Roman and one Arial. is Arial and one is whatever. And now all of a sudden you've got these together, which it's not even like that's confusing per se, but it's just a little bit of intellectual capacity to be like, oh, that's different. Oh, that's just because this came from Excel and that came from Word. Make them the same. Like if they're going to be different, have that be for a reason. Like sometimes I know if you're typing in equations or something, those sometimes use a different font. Okay, well, that has a meaning. Like that that's by the journal standards. That's what they want. But I, I, I try to be really cautious about avoiding changing fonts. Yeah, and I'm a... Uh... I'm very particular with typeface. Like, if I, like I want it to match, and I'm very particular about whether I use a serif or a sans serif yeah. font in certain applications. Um, yeah, I, I'm very particular. Like visuals, I'm okay with having like a, a sans serif font um, because I, I think it presents a little bit better. It's a little bit cleaner. It's a little bit easier to read. Um, Wait, so do you normally like serif? The serif has the one with the feet. Sans serif correct. has no feet. Yeah. Yeah. So you like, wait, which ones do you prefer? For visuals, sans serif. Okay. But for written, so you, you like the serif? For written, I much prefer serif font. I think it just it just reads better. I'm not with um, you there. Here's where we start to diver. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, it just, I'm it, team Arial. Words just flow together. It just, it seems, it seems easier. If I'm, if I'm reading things, I mean, I think there's research behind this. So I don't want to go too much into it. But I, I think that um, if you're reading things on a screen, I think the, Research shows that you know sans serif is just easier to to read. Yeah, if it's printed, then serif works a bit better. 
Maybe that's why I prefer sans serif, the Arial style fonts, because I yeah. all of my writing is done it's on all computer. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It just seems like, again, it's like this, the, the feet on the characters. It's just like one extra visual stimuli that I find myself somewhat noticing. And I'm just like, ah, I just I don't want that there. That's spare parts. I'm surprised at you. I would have I, I would have had you pegged as a sans serif person. Again, for visuals, sans serif, I agree. Yeah. If it's if I'm reading long blocks of text, I much prefer a serif font. I don't know. Try it. So, Do an experiment with yourself. See how many words you can read with with serif versus sans serif, and now, then tell me which one is actually more efficient. I feel like now serif. we're getting into both the most provocative and, really and esoteric <laughs> in the middle of. Weeds that no one cares to be in, no but I'm going to ask. Since we're, so do you do uh, left justified? Do you do the, the center, the, uh, what's it called? The uh, full width, whatever it calls where it's spaces. Like how justified? do you like to, yeah, just, I or just justified. I hate justified. This, I, I just will leave much the dangling. prefer, I love dangling. It's Me so too. much easier to read. Me too. So much easier to read. Just left line everything. And it just, you get the, get the dangling sentences. It looks, you know, ragged on the edge, but I don't yeah. care. It's so much easier to read. I'm with you. No one likes that, though. Every time I do that, when I work with collaborators, that always gets edited out. Someone always goes to Justified. The spacing, it it screws up. It makes it so hard to read when all the spacing is irregular. It's like walking up a set of stairs and every riser is a different size. Like, it it would be, it's hard. It's harder on my brain to read that. So, yeah, no. I... I feel like we need to just undo Justified. Like, it, no what does it accomplish? It I looks pretty for whom? Who cares? Journals require it, but I don't know why. But that's, but it's, it, like, it's it, dumb. Uh, yeah, it's dumb. It's hard it to doesn't read. make it. I, I don't it. like it. Uh, and then I guess I would say then I also try to do that in the graphics too. Admittedly, I'm trying to minimize text in a graphic, but I mean, let's face it. Sometimes you're going to just put a statement in a graphic or mm-hmm. some kind of, maybe not paragraph, but like, a brief sentence or a bullet point or something like that. And even there, I, I find myself saying, actually, maybe not even there, maybe especially there, Justified's worse because often now it's a smaller frame you're working in. Sure. So if you have a break across the line, it's even more pronounced that something's spaced oddly or something like that because, yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, this was a good discussion on fonts. I still, yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about that Side-tracked. serif font <laughs> business that you're into, but I don't know. <laughs> Give it a try. I don't an honest try um all right i'm gonna give another one that i've seen this is more for maybe like qualitative work or or work where we're trying to sort of explore what are factors that matter in a given situation or under a a certain uh, uh, technological treatment or whatever we're doing um and so one of the things that i often have a frustration with when i'm uh, looking at a graphic um, from a, a student or a collaborator if I'm seeing the results of a study that's looking for factors or trends or patterns, and the ordering of those findings has no meaning, that bugs me, right? It's almost like I want as the consumer, I want some kind of order, either the first one is the most frequently cited, or the first one is the most impactful to our industry, or this type of learning, or whatever it is that we're studying in the context. But like that, I don't know why that one bugs me. If, if I see something in an order, a list of things, and there is no uh, meaning behind that order. I don't know if you see that in your work. Uh, yeah, I mean, usually you see it when people do, you know, studies where they look at it, like in the importance of something or mm-hmm. some factor, right? And then they have like a table, and it's got all those factors in there, and then they've got the importance rating, you know, off to the side, off to the right, and they don't sort it by importance rating. Right. So it's like just this alphabetical list of things, and you have to like find the highest number and find the lowest number. It's just again, needless burden on the reader to have to now interpret your figure, which was supposed to be presenting it in an easy to understand way, and yeah. it has just failed at that. And I'm sure by that, I'm saying this in the spirit of celebrating failure. I'm certain when I was a grad student, I did some version of that. Like, I'm, I'm sure I had a figure. But it's a funny experience now being on uh, maybe the, the faculty role when I'm working with someone who's newer and I'll look at something and I'll say, what's what's the rationale behind the order here? And the individual's like, oh, I don't know. It's just That was just the order we had. And I, I sort of find myself pausing, like the record just stops and pauses. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You should have an idea behind that. Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't be comfortable yeah. without having an idea. You know, like, I find yeah. that's one of those. But, of, I mean, I'm, I'm saying it sort of tongue-in-cheek because, of course, I, I did that too. So everyone has to go through that. But, like, that's one of those that I think is a really good experience because regardless of what you do post-grad school, you're going to have to communicate in some variety. Like, that seems like a good takeaway of have a meaning behind your ordering of, of items. 
and it's also an easy fix, right? Like, it's, so it's yeah, relatively true. low. Right. Right. 100%. Yeah, it's it's not like, oh, you low don't damage. graduate or this won't right. get published. Or, 100% or you have agree. to spend another six hours right. on this visual. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's a five minute, just bring it into Excel, sort it, and we'll pull back in. Right, right. Um, another, so another one that I've, I've seen that's kind of a pet peeve of mine uh, that comes up is when you have these kinds of studies where there'll be a number of phenomena we identify or factors or patterns or trends or whatever you want to call it and we show them graphically so it's how frequently they show up in interview dialogue or whatever and so i almost have a histogram right so think bar chart of kind of like how many of these different terms come up but then we show a trend line that connects these different things in a manner that i find myself saying there's no connection these are just these are just topics that came up, like the idea that they said this word Coca-Cola more than Pepsi, and Pepsi went up, and then when they said marshmallows, it went back down. Like these are just different topics that emerged. It's not really a trend in that case. Like that's one that kind of gets me. Of if we're showing a trend line, then the difference or that that upward tick should matter in some way. And if it doesn't, then we got to remove that. That one. That one annoys me. Right, because it almost feels like you're misrepresenting, right? Like you're, you, you're someone who's looking at it is going to be looking at that and thinking, yeah. oh, there must be a look at this increase in whatever, but there doesn't make sense because there never was a relationship there to begin with. Yeah. It's yeah. not intentional misrepresentation. It's just probably it's some default setting, right? But yeah, yeah, it's it's that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just one of those where, again, I, I find... Maybe maybe I'm I'm reflecting on as you're saying maybe this is something that becomes easier when you're not the one who generates the graphic, right? Because yeah. the person who generated that knew what they meant by that, right? There's or, some or, meaning to them, right? Probably. Or or if there was no meaning, they knew. Well, that was just a PowerPoint default or whatever, an Excel default that they had. So they they knew not to spend intellectual capital thinking about that. But as the Joe idiot, I'm pointing to myself here of the new person that's like, I don't know what I'm looking at, right? I don't know what I'm looking at, and so I see a line and I'm like, oh, what does that line mean? And I'm of course, like, let's look at this graphic and what are we going to get? And okay, well, then I got a bunch of stuff that you didn't mean to tell me, you know? And so right. I'm, I'm wondering if I'm, if it's not really, I'm saying a fair fight, but you know, like, it's like, I'm sort of at an advantage being the new person to it. Cause I, I couldn't have known what you meant, but didn't write or wrote, but didn't mean. Yeah. Right. Because you had no, cause the visual has to speak for itself. Right. Right. It has yes. to stand on its own. Right. Going back to the first thing I said, right. It has to stand on its own. So you looking at something that someone else prepared you're able to see all the ways in which it doesn't really stand on its own, right? You're able to yeah. see where you have, a, I have 60 questions about this visual uh, that we need to go through and, and sort of address. So yeah. obviously someone else is going to have the same number of questions. So it needs revision. Well, and, and outside of the, the revising process, like in say a peer reviewed journal or conference where you get to revise it, most of the other instances where I'm showing a presentation or a proposal yeah, or a true. kind of a one-time consumption, a one-time presentation thing that just led to, I got questions, you're not getting the funding, or I didn't understand yeah. your presentation or whatever, and that doesn't work in your favor. So yeah. There's no redo. Tell us about your, uh, your Venn diagram snafu. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is a good one. So this is, I guess, a story about, about how to not present data. Um, so I needed to do a Venn diagram for four different categories or sets, I guess, in, in Venn diagram notation. Um, and you think of a Venn diagram, right? It's easy to conceptualize a Venn diagram with two sets. Right? So it's two, like two circles. Yeah. Right. Okay. Kind of overlapped in the middle, right? And then there's really only three or four, if it's not in either one, right? Places where you could put something, right? It could be at the overlap or it could be in each of the individual circles. Mm -hmm. And then if you expand that to three, I think we've all seen a Venn diagram with you know, three overlapping circles, right? It kind of looks like a triangle. You've got two at the base and you have a third one that's overlapping and you have this common shaded area in the middle that represents the overlap of all three of those different sets. Um, I had to create one for four. So I thought, okay, the logical thing to do is just be to add a circle here. Um, so instead of three and they look like a, you know, a triangle, it looks more like a cross, like a plus sign. You have two circles kind of on top of each other stacked and then you have two off to the side. And you still have that common area in the middle that represents the overlap of, of all four of those, those different categories or different sets. Um, but unfortunately, as I learned, that is not the correct way of representing a four-set Venn diagram because you have any of the two circles can't be overlapping with each other. So you have 
like two or three overlaps, but there's always going to be some categories that physically can't overlap with mm-hmm. that form of, of, of Venn diagram. Yeah. Um, and so got blasted for that of this is not the correct way of representing a four set Venn diagram and about how there's all these missing combinations that just are not captured by this visual. Yeah, because you're saying if we had them almost, I'm thinking in like a, a diamond or like a, a kite, you might yeah. fly just because that's easy to talk up, down, left, right. Sure. But like your, your left one in that, mm-hmm. if there was an instance where your left and your right had categ- mm-hmm. had had items that just those two shared, you cannot show that there. Which, it doesn't doesn't show on that. Yeah, because the only thing that they would share would be the one that's also shared with the the, right. the upper and lower, right? Or, or one or both of the upper, which is not what you wanted to Correct. show. Correct. Out, of, out of curiosity... So when you got that feedback, was the review comment right for what you were studying? Like, were there any practical situations where that would matter for what you were looking at? Or did you, did that not apply? No, it it did matter. So um, it did matter because there were a couple instances that didn't map well, because it was more of a conceptual thing at first, Mm -hmm. right? And then once you did the data, it is kind of talking about how, what, where those overlaps were. Mm -hmm. And so they were right. Like it didn't, there were a couple overlaps that didn't map to the way that I showed it. Um, and so I had to go back and say, okay, well, how do we represent a four set Venn diagram? And it gets complicated extremely quickly. So let me just be perfectly clear. You start dealing with ellipses and they start to be weird shapes mm-hmm. and they start to overlap in really odd ways. And it's like, becomes a mathematical problem very quickly when you get four five, six different sets that you're trying to represent in some sort of Venn diagram. So it gets crazy very fast. That was a a lesson that I had to learn. So if you're trying to do a Venn diagram with more than three sets, uh, it gets complicated quick. You might want to find a different way of talking about it. Yeah. Wait. So maybe you said. So what did you What do you do then with that? Like, how did you? I, I I'm assuming created a four set Venn diagram. Wait, so you actually did it with all these other shapes. Yeah, that it you... was, it's four ellipses mm-hmm. that overlap as, kind of on a diagonal. They kind of form a V. It's, you'd have to Google it, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just I recreated it and had all the overlaps, and then I was able just to shade the right, um, the right overlaps with the examples that I had. Yeah, that seems like a pain. Yeah, and then later, I mean, it was helpful because then I did a study later where I ended up using a five set, and that actually looks kind of like a star with ellipses that that overlap. And I was like, okay, old pro at this. Now I know. <laughs> Don't just jam five circles together and <laughs> represent. I hadn't, before you said this, I never thought of this. And I'm guessing oh. like someone probably got a PhD and coming up with the rules associated with the six, seven, oh. eight, nine. You should it's, see it's, some of the, vi- like Google it. You should see some of the visuals. They are wild shapes to, to try yeah. to encapsulate all these different combinations. All right. So here's a question. This is a little more outside of the box, but we're, we're talking about graphics. So this feels in scope. So let's face it, like none of the journals we go to at this point, no one's really printing a paper, right? I, at least none that I know, like it's all electronic. So like, why are we still beholden to like the constraints of a paper-based approach to communication? Like, wouldn't that be an ideal example to look at something that could be like a 3D, uh, either a, a GIF or GIF, depending on how you're supposed to say it, to show kind of the um, relationships there? Because I'm just thinking aloud, like, what you described doesn't seem that out of the ordinary for a lot of research showing four items and how they overlap. I, the, the it being wrong as event, I would have made that same mistake. Like for sure, if I was doing that, I wouldn't have noticed that. I would have been like, yeah, okay, put two by two, call it a Venn diagram. It looks like a Venn diagram. Move on. Yeah, I would love. I that is a really cool idea. I don't. I don't think journals have caught up yet, but that yeah. would be cool if it was like interactable, right? Like you, yeah clicked on a case and it would like highlight the overlap of, Hey, that case is found here, right. you know, at the intersection of these, you know, three or four different sets. That would be super cool. You could almost envision something like this where you could reduce the length of the paper, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think of a, a very traditional paper of being kind of like results and then discussion. And I mean, we'll skip the earlier and later sections, but in that results and discussion, like how many people care about every last word of what you're saying? Probably not a lot, but they might say, I care about this particular case. Click on that case. Just show me the results for that case, both in graphical and written. That would almost be a nice way to kind of speed up the process of, uh, you know, intaking these works. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Oh, a neat way of dissemination. Like, I don't know. Journals would never. I mean, it's, no. they're such a long, long way away from ever implementing something like that. But, like, on our own web pages, yeah. like, that would be cool. Yeah. Pretty I feel like I would rather do that as a read. I mean, I guess it's pretty easy to skip from section to section. But the graphic thing still pertains. Because that one, like, 
if it's a bad graphic, I do find myself lingering. And I, we talked about use of space on the page and it, it's real estate. I'm spending, on a bad graphic, I'm spending more time on what would have been 10 lines of, of written text. Right? I'm spending more time going through and understanding or failing to understand what they're showing. That would be a potentially good way of doing it. Hmm. Hmm. Agreed. All right, take note, journal editors. This, yeah. is, this is what we want. <laughs> this, this is money. <laughs> like we carry any weight. Right, no, no one cares. <laughs> no one cares. Um, okay, so maybe this is a good then transition to another point that uh, I brought up that bugs me. Your comment was on uh, the Venn diagram and how you kind of weren't communicating the right details in it. I've seen kind of the other problem because you were you were omitting details was the takeaway of that story. You should have had elements in there that you mm-hmm. you didn't have in that matter. I've seen kind of the other problem, which is to say adding details to a figure because it's easy to do in a way that doesn't matter. And this I see uh, kind of materialize a whole lot when we're showing um, a conceptual graphic uh, using images. So I wanna show we're in a construction realm, let's say, I wanna show a construction worker doing some kind of task, right? It's very easy to go on Google image or whatever and type in construction worker doing task and find an image and drop it in. And I, this is maybe a real just pet peeve on the personal side, but I, I actively do not like using Google Images, uh, not because they're not good, but they communicate construction worker doing that task, but also other things. They're going to communicate probably the age of that worker. Are we talking middle age? Are we talking a little bit older, a little bit newer? They may communicate a gender of, of this individual. Does it matter that it's someone that identifies as a man or a woman? Um, it may be something, you see where I'm going, like it shows a whole bunch of other details that if that matters, okay, that's potentially okay but in a lot of the studies we do that's that's not really pertaining to what we're communicating and i'm a, like a big proponent just put a stick figure with a hard hat yeah. that's a construction yeah. worker right because it doesn't matter if it's a man or woman it doesn't matter if it's old or young it doesn't matter like it matters that this is a, a human in construction and it, it sort of um it it fails to communicate anything beyond that which is just what i want like i want you to right. just get what i want and nothing else yeah, because all those pictures come with context. Like someone's laying bricks or yeah. someone's pouring concrete. And then there's and someone's hot, thinking, oh, are snowy. you dealing with, oh, yeah, are you doing brickwork? Brick yeah. Work? You know, masonry right. guys? Or like it, it, it makes them question like what you're doing when you don't just don't want that. And all I, you want to convey is construction order. <laughs> here's where this gets to be uh, stressful, annoying, hard, hard, difficult maybe is a good word for it. So when you're working with grad students who are especially who are newer, like what we're asking for, I think sounds crazy. So I'm not saying something that you won't agree with, but maybe to a listener, like I'm saying put in more effort to make a graphic that will visually look crappier than the graphic you could have gotten that's easier on Google, which is very counterintuitive, right? Like almost at first glance, like almost for sure what I get from Google will look nicer than my stick figure, which actually surprisingly takes kind of a bit of time to make a a stick figure the first time you do or whatever. I mean, because I got to make those different lines and group them and whatever and make it look vaguely proportional to a human. So I'm suggesting put in more effort to make a worse looking image, which I think is really hard for people to understand initially. But I just feel like what you sacrifice in visual fidelity, you're just getting back in clarity. And, and that was something that I think I definitely messed up early on. And I see still in, in especially newer researchers that I'm working with a lot. Yeah, well, that's, that's a good point. Because I think that's an important part of the refinement of any graphic or figure, figure that you do. So you may do it originally. And it may you may put in detail because you, you need that detail, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're you're trying to get it straight in your head or exactly deciding what you want to convey or how the best way to convey something is. And so you put in everything, right? Just to make sure it's all there. And then there should be some sort of process of removal of, of pulling out and toning down and just getting to the elements that make the point that you're trying to make. And I see this on graphs a lot of people just including too much information on this graph. Like all you're really trying to show is that this is a linear relationship. So like, I don't need all these like, uh, you know, um, horizontal lines going across that tell me, you know, where it is on the Y axis, like none of that's useful, right? All I care about is seeing that trend, mm-hmm. right? And so it's actually a process of removal of just deleting things that aren't important mm-hmm. to get to that simplest visual yeah. that you can create. hundred percent. So on the conceptual ones, when it's less uh, data representation, it's more just communicating an idea. How do you decide when you 
can make an image yourself? How do you decide when you need to go elsewhere to get it? And how do you decide when you need like text or some, some other uh, cheat sheet to say, this is what this yeah. you know, jaggedy line means. I mean, uh, so you're, you're probably asking the wrong person. So I am <laughs> firmly of the belief that I create, I want to create everything that goes into that visual. So yeah, I don't, too. I don't bring in pictures from anywhere else. I create my own. Like if this is, you know, some idea that I'm trying to share with someone, I want it to be all contained here. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to have to depend on some, some photo that I'm bringing in to represent something or some format that's already been created. Like I go in and create everything, whether it's some drawing or something like this is dumb, but like we had um, one visual where we were trying to represent these different project types. Um, and you know, one of these project types was a manufacturing facility. Mm. And so I, you know, created a little icon that looked like your typical manufacturing facility. So it's got a little couple little, you know, stacks on the top Mm -hmm. of it. And it's got kind of these clear story windows and like physically went in there and drew that in PowerPoint, right. As a, as a little icon. And then that sort of became the representation of industrial, you know, manufacturing facility on this visual. Yeah. I, I actually am with you a hundred percent. I, I would do the exact same thing for mine. But I think uh, I'm going to unpack the why that I think you maybe know but didn't mention there. I think part of why that matters is that little bit of headache and and um, lift of having to go through and make each of those windows in your example, or whatever the thing is you're making, and having to say, okay, let's go PowerPoint, insert, figure, we'll do a rectangle. It's going to be this color. I'm going to drag it from here to here. Let's center it within the stack or whatever. Like, there's probably 30 clicks that go into making that stupid little window happen. But those 30 clicks, I think, are a good filter for you or whoever's authoring the content to be like, do I really care to show this? Like, is this actually sure. going to yeah. impact the message that one receives? And I think, again, like increasing that cost of creating that content makes for better resultant content. Mm-hmm. Um so I had so I think I, I love that process. I want to ask my question slightly different. I'll give an example of mine. I had work once where we were doing something with virtual reality, which I do a lot of, right? So I wanted to show a, a character with virtual reality, which for me is a stick figure with like a like a goggles on them, a black <laughs> yeah. sort of oval over what would be the individual's eyes with the letters VR. Okay, so I wrote out like pretty hard to interpret this black goggles VR over there. Then I had another group that I was working with that was going to see virtual reality, but they had what would be called haptic or touch-based, like vibration feedback. How do you draw vibration? Because I went, I I struggled with this, and I ended up punting on it. But I'm curious to hear how if like how would you deal with something that's not immediately okay, visual? Okay, good. So I would draw it like um, uh, like the antenna uh, kind of visual. Like I would draw like half. Half circles. Oh yeah, yeah, like a like a Wi-Fi. It's almost like the yeah, Wi-Fi kind of like logo. Like a Wi-Fi signal yeah. of little concentric arcs that get wider as you go up. Uh-huh. I would sort of do some of those to be maybe vibration. I don't know. This is interesting. That's just I a hot try. take. I mean, I that just might work right now, but that might work. I didn't try that exact. So I will say what I try. I tried a couple things. Uh, one was I made my stick figure with like rather than arms and legs of straight lines, I made it with jaggedy lines. Um, didn't what like he's like a inflatable tube man. Uh, not so like, like finer jag, like almost oh, like okay. electrocute, right? It almost looked more like electrocution, <laughs> oh, God. but, but that didn't really read that almost read electrocution rather than haptic. And I was like, <laughs> well, I'm not, not actually hurting anyone with this. So right. They're just going to feel vibrant. So that didn't work. Um, I think then what I also tried doing was taking the stick figure and almost duplicating some of the lines in like a lighter gray. So like the mm. right arm would have just below it, like a mm. grayed out right arm there to almost show like. I don't know, like a tracer of their arm was mm-hmm. there and it, yeah, you know, yeah. something like that, um, which that sort of worked, but I, I punted on this one. And so I'm bringing this up back to our discussion of like graphics. I ended up doing the stick figure with that grayed out kind of thing. And then in vertical, I picked a different font because I wanted it to stand out. I just wrote the word haptic and I said, okay, we're going to, we're going to kind of punt on here because I don't know how to show this. And so that was kind of where I was going in the question. Like, how do you, yeah, how do you decide? Can I show this in a graphic? Do I have to go, uh, you know, with words? Because it's words are easy, relatively speaking. It's easy to just, it's also a cop out. Right. Well, that's, and that's, yeah. So that's kind of, (laughs) where I was getting of like okay did I sort of cheat yeah. here like how should I have done these things differently uh, I think I, I mean 
in my understanding, haptic doesn't have, you know, an acceptable symbol, a standardized symbol, right? Electric right. is easy. Light is pretty easy. Uh, haptic is difficult. So yeah. yeah, I could, I could see sort of cheating a little bit. There's a number of these things get, that get tricky too, when you're dealing with things that, as you brought up, don't have a symbol, right? Because if I, if I, a lot of things do. So if I want to say, uh, I want to see whether people are happy or sad, you like, I don't even have to explain how one would, right. you like already see the smiley face yep. and frowny yep. face, but yep. like there's other like emotions. If you're doing work in more of a psychological kind of realm, there's some emotions that now get, get Ooh. pretty tricky, you know, and there's some very subtle emotions of feeling inferior, well, that might matter, but I don't know how show like and, and like I'm, I'm picking up one or feeling ashamed about something or whatever, and it's just like some of these are like oh, how do I how do I show these things? So uh, yeah, it's a fun challenge. Yeah, that's tricky. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't I know would, how to do that. I, I would be I would looking at comics or something. Yeah, right. Like I would be looking at like Sunday comics to figure out how they express emotion and try to like match that. So I'm glad you brought this up because this is now where my staunch anti-Google image uh, uh, stance on graphics kind of bends back to a little more flexible. This is an area where I will Google images. I will not take the Google image. Sure. To be clear, I'm still with you in saying I want to architect every bit of this figure, but I'll at least go out and see how did others show this? Because at times there'll be something I see that's not really accurate for what I want, but it works. And it, it effectively shows, oh, this is the thing I need to get across here. And so I'll show it. And so like that's that's one that I do go back to Google. That's a good use of it. Yeah, I think that's so. Fair. I almost look at it though, like on some of these, like almost like when you played as a kid, like Pictionary or something like that. Like how do you use this without words to communicate the thing? And some things that are easy are indeed very easy, but others are deceivingly difficult. Um, and I... Yeah, I find it helpful to do the Google image and even like where we started, re-meet up with others, right? I mean, I, I said at the very beginning, like for a 15-page proposal, I may have 20 or 30 slides of iterations for images, most of which we're going to throw away. But each of those, I will present out to my team. Here's what I'm thinking. And they'll misunderstand it and they right. won't see it. But if you can... I sometimes struggle with this, but if I can have the wherewithal to rather than be like, well, no, 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 you, no, no, you didn't see it. Right? <laughs> you you read it wrong. Right. If instead yeah, I can be yeah. like, oh, I see that this is, yeah. you're actually giving insights yeah. into how someone might misread this thing. Yeah. That's helpful. And it's sometimes hard to do, but yeah. True. Any others that you've got other, other, uh, uh, do's or don'ts in the graphics? Um, here's a, here's a very simple. Don't, you may disagree with me here. Don't use pie charts. They're never a good solution. That's it. That's that's my. It's almost never a good idea to use a pie chart. If okay, you're ever thinking a about a there. pie chart, like just use a regular bar chart or a table. I can think of no instances where a pie chart adds any value at all. That I feel like it can. Controversial opinion. Name one. Just, so what I like about the idea of a pie chart. A pie chart is uh, just so we're painting a picture for everyone at home. So if you think of a pizza, right? And we're trying to show which slices correspond to which, you know category or whatever you something that should sum to a, a whole of 100 percent right where i think it can sometimes offer value is if you're trying to show um categories that are maybe known or understood to a consumer but someone would think they're all the same and you're saying no we have evidence that actually shows they're not at all right three of them are about equal and one is way bigger or way smaller i think that's potentially a quick takeaway um or the opposite if we if we assumed there's a difference in their actual equal I think that can be helpful. The other thing, okay, so I had a thought. I was thinking about this oh, when you were blanketly shooting it down earlier. I feel like, okay, so I feel like if you're trying to communicate this to like a program officer and it's not just about, or a reviewer, it's not just about informing, but actually persuading. And you're trying to show this pattern of behavior or some kind of phenomenon where you're saying this thing that we all say we care about, if we look at evidence out there, only a fraction of our behavior echoes that philosophy we said we cared about. But to me, it does take up more space and it is maybe based on real estate less efficient. I think the imp I think what it sacrifices in efficiency of sort of space, it may gain back an impact of someone being like, oh yeah, we're wasting a lot of our time, whatever the takeaway would be, that we're missing this small piece that we ought to be targeting or vice versa. Okay. Well, let me pose this to you. All right. So let's say you had a pie chart with 10 slices. Okay. Okay. Is that very useful? 
Because I feel like it might matter on what the slices were showing. Like, I, I think if we were trying to show something like they were all about, e I guess I would go back to like, it would seem like if we're trying to show they're all about equal, we think they should be all about equal and our data shows they are, then yeah, no, I don't think that's very how helpful. Good, how good is anyone at determining whether 10 pie slices are equal or not? Oh, I see I think that point. is very hard as yeah. a visual for someone to look at that and say, oh yeah, these are all the same size, oh, right? Yeah. It, it just, pie charts aren't good when you're dealing with a lot of categories because it's very difficult for someone to visually determine what's different for, without just seeing a number, without you just labeling it and saying this is 11% and this is 9%, right? It's also, so which means that maybe it's good for Smaller you know, numbers. three to four categories, but yeah. then at that point, why don't you just write it? It's not that complicated. So why don't you just write it in the text? Like if you say, okay, hey, Forty-five percent of the the respondents, you know, uh, identified as as men, and you know, forty forty-five percent were women, and oh, yeah. percent were other. Like at that point, why not just write about it in in the in the text? Why have a, a pie chart for it? Like I, yeah. I can just see of no instance where a pie chart adds significant value over another form of visual representation like just a table or like a bar chart like if you really have 11 things that you want to show that are different then put a bar chart and sort it by highest to lowest yeah. like we were talking about earlier and that would be 100 times better than a pie chart as a visual communication yeah i think unless you're trying to show them as parts of the whole because the, the bar chart doesn't really show that Right. I mean, you would show which one's bigger very clearly, whether it's 10 or three or whatever number. Like, I'm with you on that, but that doesn't sure. really show. Just say it adds up to 100%. Hmm. I think I'm I'm at least partly with you. You've convinced me on the no. I do think, uh, I think I'm with yeah. you on if you had 10. I, see, I, I get where you were going with that. The differentiation gets pretty hard to visually see. So that I'm with you on. Um but like the other, I think you just gave bad examples. Like, I just think those, you're right that those aren't effective examples of pie chart, but I would also, like, we just shouldn't use a pie chart there. Like, if you're showing population of respondents to a survey, right, like, there, if it's just who identifies as male, who identifies as female, that that is very simple. And there's not, like, that. there's not a need to show that. I, I guess I would look at it if you were showing, like, I'm thinking of an example that I've mm -hmm. worked closer to. Yeah. If you were trying to show trends in funding on a given topic, so here's here's what say the National Science Foundation is funding. Here's the patterns of funding on this topic that are emerging. And here is another pattern of how we're using this funding. And we show a clear, uh, uh, strong sort of disparity and sort of 80% are shown here that are getting funded on this topic and only 2% are ever making it to the targeted population or whatever. Like that to me is one that more visually shows, wait, why is there a difference there? And that's like, that's what I'm trying to communicate to the consumer. And that consumer. should just be a stacked bar chart then. Like just guess a stacked bar chart with, you know, if you want it to represent 100%, then a stacked bar chart is even better. I feel like Because I can satisfying. actually see the difference in, you know, the, the, the differences in are meaningful rather than a slice of a pie that is impossible for me to determine but whether see that, it's different. Okay, but I, now I'm going to dig in a little hard because this is the, what gets back to oh the, you're God. communicating multiple, it's not that it's multiple points, but you're getting at the magnitude of difference. And in some cases, I don't think that, is necessary. It's not beneficial to the communicate. Like all I care that they see is, oh, there's a huge disparity here. Great. Well, stop. Then just right write there. about it in the text and write a line. I guess that you could presents the actual, you know, percentage. I think you the could. The pie chart adds nothing. So this is where I would get back to like my initial. I just like that first pay. I like that motivation graphic to be to be like beautiful to consume and be eye catching and all of that. But I think that I think there are instances, but I also get your point that there are a lot of instances where pie charts are used. Because they can be rather than because they should be. I just feel like every nine out of 10 times when I see a pie chart, it is just better off as something else. And Stack see, bar chart, bar chart, table, whatever. All right. So I'm, so I'm just saying, like, if you were going to communicate that point that you just did to me nine times out of 10, show me that as a pie chart. And I'm going to be like, oh, man, most of the time this guy doesn't like pie charts. <laughs> so we have small <laughs> price in that pie. Uh, this guy likes pie charts. Put them next to each other. Like, like. <laughs> Run an experiment. Put a pie chart next to an alternate way of, of you know, looking at that information and tell me who gets more out of, out of which visual. And 100% it will not be the pie chart. Someone do that study. I want to see the results. Your whole career is going to be dedicated to the death of the pie to, chart, it seems. To, to, yeah, to proving pie charts are <laughs> the solution to no problems. Uh. So did we succeed or did we do the dumbest podcast ever, folks? <laughs> 
yeah. In an audio format about a visual output. Oh, man. Explaining the Venn diagram? Oh, God. I don't know. I don't know if Luckily, that went well. no one listened, yeah, well, so I don't whatever. think it'll really matter. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> well, thanks. This was fun. I had fun, even though I don't know that this, uh, if this will translate. But uh, thanks. Anything else you want to go over on this, or shall we break there? I think, I think we're good. Sounds good. It's a fun one. Well, thank you all for joining us. Um, maybe you got something out of this, or maybe you have your own pet peeves that you can uh, tell us about when we meet up at some point in conferences and all the good stuff. Um, but we will, of course, catch you on the next episode of Prophecy.